I'm Robin Gallagher and welcome to Ripples. Throughout our program, a series of guest speakers will share words of wisdom from their life experience and we will offer you a series of meditations so that you can take some time just to stop and listen to that voice within, that voice of the Spirit. So come and enjoy some inspired voices and treasured stillness and allow the ripple effect to begin. Patricia Thomas currently works for Grief Care, which is an ecclesial pastoral care agency of the church at Catholic cemeteries and crematoria. Grief Care supports individuals, families and communities during times of loss, grief, bereavement and trauma, offering accompaniment and a range of programs and resources in preparing for funerals. Grief Care will also service MacArthur Memorial Park when it opens in the next few years. Patricia has had extensive experience working in the area of spiritual formation and in pastoral care, both within education and health services. We welcome Patricia today as she reflects on the challenges our students are facing in this time of COVID and some of the ways we can support them. In this first episode, Patricia will highlight the value of putting language around these experiences. And in the second episode, she will explore some strategies which can assist with emotional regulation and the place of God in these times of turmoil. Pat, it is wonderful to have you on our program today, to have you back on our program. Wonderful being back, um, Robin. It's a wonderful opportunity uh, to be in conversation with others. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. As we both know, there are so many people going through incredibly challenging times at this moment in COVID. Our students are going through a very challenging time as they navigate this time of lockdown and COVID-19. You know, they're experiencing changes with, with schooling, exams, friendships, family, work patterns. And, and Pat, as we've talked about, there's a great deal of loss on so many levels with events and gatherings, rituals, opportunities to see and, and be with friends or family. Now, understandably, with all of this happening, our young people are expressing just a wide range of emotions in response to these challenges and changes and disappointments. What do you observe is, is happening for our, our students when they express these feelings of, of frustration and loss and, and anger and disappointment and sadness, all of them? Well, um, you've named, first and foremost, Robin, the reality of what um, particularly our young people are experiencing that many of us adults didn't. And what you've described, and you use the word loss, is that we are living and they are living in a place and a time where there is much grief and trauma Mm -hmm. and particularly trauma because they're being exposed to events and experiences uh, that are overwhelming, are overwhelming and are on a continuum. They're not letting up. And going on. Um, going on, on and on and on. And there's changes. There's been major life transitions that have changed for our young people and our children and even adults. 
And those changes, whenever there is an abrupt or even slow change, there is grief. And when there's an unexpected or highly disturbing or distressing occurrences in people's lives, they either witness and or are living, they are also experiencing trauma. And with both grief and trauma or traumatic grief is deep wounding. Something has been taken from them and us. And learning how to integrate those new experiences requires us all to be aware of how we first are learning to survive them. And in surviving them, that means many of us are reacting more than responding. And that's not a criticism. We react when there is an unknown. There is something that we haven't experienced before. And we're highly reactive at the moment, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. And that reaction is the trauma, what's happening inside of us in response and reaction to what's happening outside of us. It's interesting, Pat, because I know when we've spoken about trauma, for some of us, we have a presumption that trauma is a specific type of experience or a response to a specific type of experience. But what I've learned through you is that it is much broader than that. Oh, yeah. I wonder if you could... Yeah, yeah. well, as, as we've discussed, um, Robin, the word trauma literally means wounding or wound and, um, and a wound requires healing. And much of our understanding in using that word trauma up until probably the last few years was around what we called a PDSD or CBDSD, which is post-traumatic stress syndrome or complex post-traumatic stress syndrome. And they were usually around an event, like an example uh, recently were the fires and the, and, and the, the floods or a, a tragic event in someone's life. Um, uh, uh, and the wounding around that uh, and what happens inside of us in response to that. Whereas now we understand all of us carry wounds of some kind. Um, we, moved, we, we were very honest years ago when we all started to acknowledge that none of our families are normal. <laughs> <laughs> They're all places of survival mechanisms, maladjustments, um, dysfunction at various levels and sadly some at very serious levels of that, as we know. And that, that was complex PTSD, whereas trauma now is understood as any perceived threat that overwhelms us that overworks our thinking and overworks our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it's a perceived threat to our security, our safety, or our assumptive world, how we thought things were going to be and work out. The graduation's gone. 
the HSC is not going to be sat with all my mates. The 21st is not going to happen. The footy season's over. The wedding didn't happen. Didn't attend someone's funeral. And what trauma does is it disconnects us because we go inwards wanting to try and make sense of something we haven't made sense of before. So all of us are carrying a body full of reactions that are looking for safe places and safe ways, ways to be expressed. Pat, there's, there's something so um, healing, I would say, when, when you use that word trauma in the sense that it, it, it can help to validate an experience for people. And I, and I know you've also spoken about the way that people respond to these challenges or loss or trauma in different ways. Mm. I wonder if you could explore that a little bit for us today. Well, this is the learnings from our understandings of post-traumatic stress syndrome. I refer to the four Fs, and there's not a rude F in there, so don't worry. Um, and nearly all of us react in either of these ways when our perceived safety is being removed or our perception of how things should be are not going to happen and they're either fight flight freeze or fawn now the fight one says what it is like um the timber outbursts the aggro anger trying to control everything even bullying mm. even bullying and this is why it's important for us to understand um uh, you know, we're not hearing another person's perception and we become very demanding. That's coming from a trauma space of trying to make sense of it. The next one's flight and that's avoidance. And that's not necessarily just taken off to the hills, which we can't these days when we're, you know, locked down, we're in lockdown. That's being obsessive and compulsive in our activities. And th that comes from a place of panic and anxiety. People who can't be still, I'm one of those people, I'm often in flight, um, can't relax, um, always on the go, um, trying to overachieve, you know, a simple task trying to make it perfect. That's a form of flight when something inside of us has got grab hold, it's like an alien. Mm. The freeze is when we isolate, mm. we shut down and we can isolate in isolation where someone's in their room all the time. Now, there's a time of solitude, but we just make a decision, shut the world out, and we disconnect or we find ways to disassociate, you know, being a long time on Facebook or on uh, gaming, for example. Um, the end extreme of that sometimes is self-medicating. You know, when we're feeling stuck and we can't make decisions, in other words, that's when we actually start to slip over into some depression, where we turn everything inward and we just say, no, I'm just going to hide. And the fawn one is when we're that scared that we'll do anything and please anybody. We will avoid conflict. We won't speak up what our needs are. We become very overly dependent on other people out of that fear. So the fight, flight, freeze, fawn are all reactions to something happening inside of me. 
we used to refer to, and I don't, and people still do, when someone is acting out, they're acting from a place of trauma or a wounding or a loss or a grief. And from the experts, which are people who are going through grief themselves, that every grief, every loss of something that we value is traumatising. And you named a lot of those to begin today, Robin. Because mm. what trauma does, what flight, fright, freeze and fawn does is it pushes against what is inside of us needs to come out. A deep grief that needs expression in sadness and tears and even anger. A fear that needs to be named and shared with someone. And many of us push these things down because we've had experiences of people not validating them or naming them incorrectly. Pat, I, I think that one of the elements that you named earlier on mm -hmm. is the fact that the circumstances that people are living in at the moment have been going on for a while. So there's been all those feelings that you named and those responses that you named that people have been experiencing for an extended period of time. I, was, I, I mentioned to you I was reading an article just yesterday. It was by Nick Miller from The Age where he was speaking about the impact of COVID on artists and actors and he interviewed a series of actors including Queenie van der Zandt. Mm. And this is what Queenie said. She said, artists are incredibly resilient people. We are very used to pivoting. We have the ability to come up with ideas from absolutely nothing and to rise from the ashes, but we're exhausted, exhausted from doing that. And so I, I really hear in, in, in people's stories, there is all these, uh, these emotions and these responses and a level of exhaustion in that as well. In this space where we are, Pat, what are some things that we can do to support our young people, to support our students? And to support each other. And, and each other. Named it. What's exhausting us more than anything else? And this is where our understanding, the wisdom of trauma is teaching us, is pushing down what we're feeling. It's not just vir virtual fatigue. What you just named, many of that, and it's, and it's us thinking that we have an infinite amount of resilience to be able to bounce back. After a while, we don't bounce back. And bouncing back means, Many time, getting that fight, flight, fright or fawning behaviour instead of stopping and, dare I say it, resting and connecting to what's happening in me or saying to someone, let's just stop, let's just sit down, let's just be mindful that there's a lot going on in me and in you. And let's try and connect with what's happening. Our community, Grief Care, during this COVID, which we began last lockdown, every morning we meet, yes, for prayer and reflection. What we began then has become one of the most consoling and ways in which we are healing our trauma. We take time to connect with what's happening in our bodies. And we're taken through what's called a grounding. 
um, activity, which are very simple. Just stopping and working out where are the sensations in my body? Where are the comfortable sensations and where are the uncomfortable sensations? And in, like for example, I'm feeling some tension in my shoulder blades at the moment. Where you know there's a lot going on at work at the moment, and in acknowledging that tension in my shoulders, I can then go to a place of noticing what I'm feeling: tension, worry, and some overload. There are a lot of calls on my iPhone at the moment that I haven't responded to. What we do every morning in our team, we give a space, a safe space for people to name that. And with practice and a trusted safe space, there are tears that have been expressed. There have been fears that have been expressed. There's been anger being expressed. There's even been rage. And we've held the space. No one has tried to fix each other. We have held the space, listened, and in doing that, validated what that person's feeling. And we all feel lighter and some energy after it. Some of us may, if it's deep, will just be tender and fragile and vulnerable for that day. But that's the thing that's making us more exhausted. If we want to heal the brokenness, the loss, the grief, the trauma we're experiencing, let's learn together how to stop, do some mindful activities, connect with what's happening, name the sensations, and then attempt to put a name to the feeling. We actually need major growth spurts for us all in emotional agility and emotional regulation and we don't learn how to regulate those reactions until we stop in a safe space own it ourselves but also have it witnessed by others it's really so powerful pat in that sense that there's value in creating spaces from what i hear to name it mm and a real permission around that, and also met with that, that skill of then learning how to, to regulate and develop agility with those emotions so that there's not a suppression or a denial. You've hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a permission, but then over time, a, a developing confidence or skill set around regulating that for all of us, adults, students alike. And particularly for our children, the wisdom of the trauma we're experiencing they can learn is how to self-soothe, self-console, regulate, know when they're having a reaction that's because they're overwhelmed and they're feeling powerless over a situation and their nervous system is overactive. And God has created our bodies magnificently that our bodies can hold that if we don't push against what is happening against it you mentioned suppression the more we keep down thinking it's better to be positive for the kids 
or positive for my partner or wife or husband or positive in a workspace and not name with each other, to each other, the discomfort, the uncomfortable feelings, we are going to more and more go inwards and we implode. That's what trauma does. It implodes in that fight, flight, freezing, fawning behaviours that are survival mechanisms going to a point where they harm us and they harm others. Mm. And one of the, the, the major contributions and understandings around family violence and domestic violence when it escalates to that is there's been a trauma, a hurt, a wound, a grief that has not had a safe space or a safe person for it to be expressed and validated and acknowledged. We're asked to really stop and acknowledge that our bodies, our minds and our hearts are distressed and disturbed with what's happening. And the moment you, know, you said it, Robin, the moment we name something, it takes the power away. Mm. I'm focusing very much on trauma today because, as you said, most of us think, you know, or we experienced, got through that fire or that flood a few weeks ago, a few months ago, all right, or I got through that tragic death, okay, that was trauma. These are unprecedented times. These are experiences we're all experiencing in different ways and we are all uniquely responding to them in different ways. Mm. And unless we have safe places, safe people and model sharing what we're feeling, the uncomfortable and the comfortable feelings, because we can have both, where we will not be healing the trauma and that trauma gets passed on. So trauma is very much about reactions. Pat, you shared uh, with me recently just a beautiful quote. I, I think it was Richard Raw's writing. Was yes, it actually, it was uh, Robin, it was actually... Uh, was it, it was Ron Rollheiser. Ron Rollheiser. It's from his book, um, Wrestling with God, Finding Hope and Meaning in Our Daily Struggles to Be Human. Well... Mm. We're learning and I hope in becoming more trauma-informed, particularly in these times and trauma-aware, that um, there's wisdom in which we can move from surviving to thriving. It's about naming it. So would you like me to share it? I'd yeah. love you to. Just to be able to name something no matter how absurd or unfair, no matter how powerless we are to change it, is to be somehow free of it, above it, in some way transcendent and eventually transformed by it. To name something correctly is to partly free ourselves of its dominance. Artists, writers, mystics, religious critics, journalists and prophets, they name things. 
that's ultimately the function of us all being prophets in this time, in these experiences. Prophets don't foretell the future. They properly name the present. Richard Rohr is fond of saying, not everything can be fixed or cured, but it should be named properly. And James Hillman has his own way of casting this. He suggests a symptom suffers most when it doesn't know where it belongs. Mm. And I think what that's saying there, Robin, is we can't fix and cure a lot of things. We can name them and carry them mm. with in our own bodies and with each other. Mm. And mindfulness, grieving, getting into our bodies, practicing, saying to each other what uncomfortable as well as what comfortable things are happening inside of us is a way of releasing trauma, connecting with the grief around the losses and freeing ourselves to integrate that as part of who we are. Thank you for joining our program today. Part two of my conversation with Patricia Thomas is now available. And in this, she will explore some strategies which can assist with emotional regulation for both students and adults. She will also reflect on the place of God during these times of turmoil. This next episode is entitled Grief Care, Supporting Our Students During COVID, Part 2. Take care, and I look forward to being with you next time.